Allah the Almighty. Allahu Allah. Protect me and guide me. Welcome to God is Open. Today on God is Open, we got a special treat. We got a guest, a John Fisher, our our uh, master of science, our doctor, a physicist. He is here with us, and today we are going to be discussing a sermon that was actually written against me from a church. Uh, if if anyone is familiar with uh, getting kicked out of Duluth Bible Church, there's a YouTube video like that in which we posted. My wife and I we posted. The audio recording of us getting kicked out of this church long ago, in the yesteryears, like seven, eight years ago. And we're finally, we're going to take a look at the sermon that they wrote in response to me, against me. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so so here's the backstory. Uh, we got kicked out of this church, and uh, we did a little recording of that because uh, they had proved in the past to be dishonest individuals. So we recorded the whole thing. We posted it up on YouTube. They tried to do takedown notices and things like that, and they, they really wanted that off off the web because uh, their church has is known, quote-unquote, for being a cult. Like A lot of the first Google hits were about that all the time. So they're trying to censor anything like that. And so if you go to that video today, us getting kicked out of Duluth Bible Church, you'll see a lot of downvotes, like 50 downvotes. It's like, like, uh, are you sending your members there to downvote it? But uh, in in addition to kicking us out of the church, they did a little response video to Open Theism called Closing the Door on Open Theism. And if you think this is original title, it is not. Uh, they, I think they Googled Open Theism and they grabbed like something off the first Google Hits page. I think it was Tim Chalice who had an article Closing the Door on Open Theism and they just ripped it off straight from that, slapped it on their YouTube video, and that's what they called it. So we're going to see how they argue and what they say and if they close the door on Open Theism. Are, are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, so um, I forgot how tedious and cringeworthy this is, so we're going to have to bear with us the first few openings. Do a opening. game with you, a mind game. His mind that's game. That's kind of out there, too. Yeah, this Maybe some of you I guess have out played there. this game before, and it does have a spiritual point to it, by the way. And if you've played this game before and you know the answers to the questions oh, man. I'm going to I, ask, I, I gotta then try just to skip play four. along and be a good sport. Okay. There's about ten questions. Nine times okay. one. If it's a two-digit number, add the right. digits together. So it's like a mind game where you Got pick it. numbers, you add them together, subtract, subtract five. five. And, and you always get to the same result because there's some operation that makes sure you get now there, I'll right? determine which letter yeah, in the so alphabet corresponds to the number. Okay, so, yep. And then we'll skip forward again. Eating oranges in Denmark. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> of, oh, there, it's it's hilarious. He got them there. Freaky, isn't okay. it? <laughs> we skipped that. See it was cringeworthy. Wait, this is a joke. <laughs> well, well, no, it wasn't a joke. It was like everyone thought it was a cool thing because he gave them the numbers and then he told them to pick letters and uh, and they pick countries and animals and they all came up with kangaroos eating oranges in Denmark. That, that's what they all came up with, and everyone thought it was pretty... It, it, mathematically, it more often than not works out, because in America, we, we like oranges. I don't know if there's any other O fruit or anything like that, but 
that's how it worked out. They thought it was neat, and so they laughed. They're like, oh, you're so clever, you got us. How many of you had a different answer? Wow, that's a pretty high percentage. I, <laughs> this congregation, I can tell, thinks outside the box. Yes. <laughs> I did this in Milwaukee years ago, and, and they just tracked right along with me, and it was, it was 90%. In fact, statistics show that or about 90% no one wanted of to raise their hand. answer with this result. Because this game uh, I, is rigged. And so it sounds like he just insulted his Milwaukee congregation. Because <laughs> he gave them the compliment in this congregation mm -hmm. that, that they're all so clever. He just insulted his Milwaukee congregation. Such a way that mathematically you have to come up with a, a number... And a scale of one to... And the, the audience has got to thank me for skipping through most of that. It got pretty tedious. Ten that points you to the certain name of a country that starts with a D, and there's only oh, like four man. countries in the entire world that start he's, with a D. He's still Denmark talking about this. happens to be the most popular. And yeah. then, of course, it points you to you show the K, picture. What animals start with a K? Well, apart from a koala bear, kangaroo, not too many others. And then, of course, what fruit starts with an O? Well, there's not too many of those. So the results are quite predictable, even though it may seem rather freaky at first if this was the answer that you had come to as well. Predictable results. But what this mind game shows is that some people have a view of God that's just like this. That <laughs> is, that, is that what it showed? Some people, uh, this, uh. this showed that some people have a view of God just like this. Let's hear his explanation. That God can just figure things out based on the here and now. And he's a very good guesser. He so uh, I, it feels like his illustration had nothing to do with proving his point. It, it feels that that's the case. I don't know. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, he's just saying that some things have very high probabilities. Yeah, he, he ran us through scenarios which have very, very high probabilities uh -huh. of turning out. And he said some people believe that God... God uses high probabilities to predict what will happen. But I don't think that's exactly what uh, he's going after. I, I'm not exactly sure that, what he is. That's not what he's going after? Well, you think I'm being too charitable? It, he seems to be going after that God predicts some future things through... High probability guessing. Uh, that's that's my charitable charitable walk away. Every all of us can guess. In fact, if, if those are the questions, we can all kind of guess what people are going to pick for their answers, right? Right. And so he said that this shows that some people that, have that a view God of God. Too. Uh, okay. I I don't I don't see many open theists explaining their views through his mind game. Maybe he got it from. Right some mind game person um who's an open theist but i don't i don't think so i i think he just put this together this was his cleverness that we we're watching here no yeah, but it, what, it's, it's uh, kind of funny because it it works <laughs> so it, he's he's not saying that this is a nonsense idea oh he's no I, showing, I he's showing you how this works i i think i think that's what they do a lot they um they say this is what open theists believe. And they, then they kind of shake their heads. 
Isn't that terrible? <laughs> like, oh, that's I just showed you something that works with very high. He said ninety percent reliability. That's what. That's the number he said. Look at this chart of just open like, theist Ugh. beliefs. Ugh. Shudder with me. Ugh. It, all right, it's, now that it, now it we've defeated like those, your, it sounds like he's making your case. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Let's let's. Let's hit play. Most people will answer most of the time, but he doesn't know all. And that is the error of mo modern <laughs> teaching uh, in the area of open theism. It is an assault on the doctrine and the character of God himself. It The character. And so uh, that's an interesting statement. Usually when you talk about character, you talk about person's personality they're they're like uh characteristics they're how how they act behave how they think you're not talking about immutable properties my my character isn't skin and so uh open theist assault on the character of god well maybe it, on it, these... it is a it is a fundamental uh re-imaging of who god is though right, right. But it's not against his character, unless unless it is giving it, him character. It, it, because you don't have right. character if you're, you're immutable. <laughs> yeah. So if if giving God character is an assault on his character that he doesn't have, then yes, I guess technically we will have to give uh, Tom this one. Heirs in understanding not only who God is, but what He knows how much he knows, and when he knows it. And this is the first truth I want you to see when it comes to this question of what is open theism. It is an assault upon the omniscience of God in particular. This is being practically denied today by this teaching of open theism. Now we know from the Bible that God is sovereign in terms of his character. He is the final authority in the entire universe. He has the right to rule in every sphere, in every way. He is righteous. He's perfectly right. He's never done anything wrong, nor can he or will he. He's just. <laughs> he's fair. That's, that's one thing these guys like to do. They, they jump from God doesn't do things that are wrong to God can't do things wrong. It's, it's this conflation. And this is their term, impeccability. God has a trait called impeccability. He cannot do wrong. But the biblical authors, they didn't think so. A lot of biblical authors thought God was harassing, harming them. Uh, Job, he, he takes it very personally, the things that are happening to him. And so um, maybe it's not, quote unquote, modern open theists. Maybe it's the ancient open theist named Job that are assaulting these attributes that he's throwing out there. I, the biblical idea of God is a God who can do wrong. And it, it seems to me when God is called righteous in the Old, Old Testament and New Testament, that people are making a value judgment. Uh, they're, they're proclaiming something of value about God rather than just trying to say this is a metaphysical absolute. So if I go to my yeah. kid and I say, you're good, I'm not, I'm not saying your nature is good and you can't do anything evil. I'm saying, I'm, I'm happy. You're a good kid. Look at you do good things. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it's a very weird 
comment to have. You're righteous if literally anything you do by definition is righteous, right? Right. So, that, like, what do you even say? You are you. That's all you're saying. You're you. And so it, it seems that it's a value judgment happening uh -huh. in these statements throughout the Bible rather than a metaphysical doctrinal claim, if that yeah, makes that, sense. It would make more sense like that. Yeah, and, and so since it's a subjective evaluation, some people, like Job, may in fact disagree. And, and that's fine with, with subjective evaluations. Oh, I think a vanilla ice cream is good. Someone else might say, I think vanilla ice cream is terrible. I'll kind of look at them like, ah, I don't think you know what you're talking about. But the subjective claim would be subjective. All right. All right. Uh, go ahead and hit play. He's love. He, he is a giving God who gives of himself. He is eternal life. He's infinite and eternal in duration. Never had a beginning. Never will have an end. And he is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. He's One thing they do, they, they introduce us and say, these are the biblical attributes. And then they just throw a bunch of words on the screen. And then they oh. define these words in very weird ways that, uh, like, for example, not only uh, does God, God not sin, but he cannot sin. So it's... It's these very idiosyncratic ways of defining these terms, terms which are not found in the Bible. Uh, there, you might find something like uh, pankratos in the Greek in Revelation, like all ruler, uh, but it's unlikely to mean the same thing as omnipotent or sovereign in these guys' vocabulary. It's, it's unlikely that it means that same thing, but you're not going to find omniscient. In, in the Bible. You're not going to find uh, immutable in the Bible. These these are Greek terms and, and they could be. This is a very good illustration of how they approach the thing because they begin with this slide. This is how they, they approach all their theology. This slide before you even open the Bible. And then you go and look for that in the Bible. Yeah, it's it's classic proof texting. Uh, ver verse, verse theology as Arthur Hagland always calls it. He's, he's a funny guy. I gotta go ahead and hit play. Omnipotent. He has all power to do whatever is consistent with his character and his attributes. So one thing that happens with these omnis and ms is they contradict each other. And so implicit in these, you just heard him add limitations that God can do anything. And then, oh, wait, wait, consistent with his character, which means um, fill in the blanks. Um, based on all the other attributes that we kind of threw out there that God can't choose not to know something because that's not consistent. Even though we have the power not to know something, God doesn't have that power that man has. God can't sin even though we have the power to sin. So in the Calvinist mindset, that gives means we do have more power than God if we can sin and, and God can't. But that it's, it's this weird um, jigsaw uh, hodgepodge of attributes that fit together very strangely with all sorts of exceptions and then they go around claiming oh these are all encompassing these these give God uh, an infinite nature the, these uh, don't limit God even though they themselves uh, implicitly and explicitly embed limitations in these attributes but when open theists do it open theists are wrong of course 
when, when open theists want to redefine omniscience, oh, that's wrong. That that's incorrect. But these guys, they got the right definitions. Buttes. He's immutable, meaning he does not change, and you can be thankful for that from day to day. That means you can trust in him. And he's veracity. <laughs> Wait, is that true? Is that true? Okay, so well, a very good example of this failing to give us any sort of trust. Like uh, Matt Slick, he believes all things are predestined. God never changes. Um, his daughter, his daughter was a very strong Calvinist g growing up, and then she abdicated the faith she she left the faith and became an atheist and did a whole bunch of horrible things i don't see how god's immutability should give matt slick matt slick's daughter um and a whole host of people any sort of comfort that he's trying to say that people should have based on god's immutability because if god's immutability functions practically the same with or without immutability what good is it it's uh, it's like a stoicism of sort but it's like a it's a stoicism of denial they they just any so the idea of stoicism is that anything that happens like you don't you don't get exercised or worked up about it except for the the very things that you yourself can influence right and so it, it's a way to avoid over overreacting emotionally to things out of your control but in in this sense it it, it's that kind of stoicism, but they don't. They want to believe that it, it all. It's not only out of their control, but all for a good cause. Yeah. So, so it's a way to sort of deny the ugliness of the world by always saying that that everything's happening for for the best of all possible worlds. Even though it will function identically, it doesn't give them practical, useful information to how well, to live their life except for the comfort it's, part it's a, it's effectively just a denialism they they, they don't want to deal with the harsh reality so they just say every it's all the best for the best possible world <laughs> no matter what happens uh no your whole family your whole family can be killed uh by uh i, I was just reading about the spanish civil war by by uh Either communists could kill your whole family or the fascists could kill your whole family in reprisals. And that's yeah. for God, God's greatest glory. Fantastic. Fantastic. I gotta, well, it's, it's immutable and you shouldn't worry about the future because even though you could just all die at any moment. Yeah. I, I don't think it's practical. T or he's absolute truth and there is no falsehood within him. Thus, he is the perfect object of your faith or trust. But when it comes to this doctrine of open theism and how it errs in the area of omniscience, it claims to believe in the omniscience of God. In fact, if you go to the websites of these various teachers, you read their books, you read their church doctrinal statements in some cases, they will actually claim, oh, we do believe in omniscience. But... They redefine omniscience to mean not that God knows all things actual and possible, past, present, and future, but that God knows all things that can be known. Remember like three seconds ago when he just said uh, um, omnipotence is the power to do everything consistent with God's character, and he put massive limitations on that attribute? He re redefined it. Remember that? Mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. that. <laughs> that. It just happened three seconds ago. And so the hypocrisy is blatant for anyone who's paying attention.
Did you have? Did, were you about to say the same thing? No, I, I was gonna. I was gonna add that he's saying that the definition of omniscience is knowing things that everything that can be known possible and not possible, right? Which is not like you could know the probabilities of everything easily, and, and so you could, in that sense, know the entire future. But that doesn't mean you're gonna know which future will actually come. So. So he's, I guess he's trying to say that the future is actualized. Uh, that that's really his the implicit philosophical argument that he's making. And yeah. there's no, there, there's you'd have to prove that. Yeah, he's a, he's a determinist, and so. Right. Well. And since the future is made up of free will choices of God's creatures, and they haven't decided upon things yet. That future and those choices are not there yet to be known. They're not a reality. And they can't be known even by God. You say, well, that's strange. Well, that's what they teach. And so that's they say, strange. yes, we believe in omniscience, <laughs> that God knows. It's so funny. Uh, most Christians actually will uh, treat the future as if the future's indeterminate. If that our prayers affect God, that uh, things in the future can change and aren't set. Uh, most Christians will treat God like that. And throughout history, most cultures with their various uh, notions of deity did not include an, a definition of omniscience, which encompassed all future events. I think we've covered this multiple times in multiple podcasts, various ideas of, of, of omniscience in the ancient world. And they all, all believed it was present watching of the world. Like the Bible says in the Psalms, the eyes of the Lord are on the ways of the good and the wicked. Uh, and in the Hebrews, he says his eyes are on all things. He sees all things. So the ancient concept of omniscience was really a visual omniscience. God knows because God watches, which is fairly consistent throughout history, except for uh, the only where, places we have deviations of this is in Greek phil philosophy, in which they encompass uh, this this extra dimension of uh, knowledge, omniscience. Even Odin, who could see the future in Norse mythology, it was a acquired omniscience that comes to him through some sort of sight vision. And so, uh, it's it's actually the default default definition, and we are so far off of normal the normal world heritage when it comes to modern Christianity. Uh, these these people are treating it like it's 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 the minority they're treating open theism like it's the minority even though it's been the majority opinion throughout history right. those all things that can be known not all things that are even potential or possible and so they do not believe that god knows the future infallibly yes he can make Educated guesses, and he's a very good guesser, but they cannot say he's an infallible guesser as well. And you know, when one doctrine falls, when it... Yeah, so uh, just just the non-central fallacy, people shouldn't be saying... Well, I was on Justin Wilson's podcast. Uh, he's a friend of mine, 
And uh, he's talking about how could I know the future? And I said, tomorrow, which was like Monday at the time, I said, I'm going to come home and my daughters are going to run up to me and they're going to want to go swimming. And I'm going to say, okay, we could go swimming. And then my boys, they, they won't ask me, but as soon as they find out we want to go swimming, they're going to decide they want to come along as well. Guess what? Everything happened exactly as I said. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was guessing. That that wouldn't be my described word to to describe how I predicted the future. It was just a guess. It was just a very accurate guess. No, it's just it's knowledge. Um, it's something I knew, and that's people would say, "Yeah, you you know your kids, and so you know what they're going to do." This is knowledge, and so their reframing of everything as a guess is a linguistical trick in in order to. Uh, highlight their own position and to demean open theism. They're applying the non-central fallacy in order to trick their audience to, to control their state of mind. Yeah, they, they don't operate this way anyway. You, you pick up a ball and you throw it and it's going to have a certain arc and you already know how balls behave. You know how gravity behaves. You know how cause and effect behaves. Uh, like the, these are the, you don't consider these things all guesses. It's not like every time you pick up a cup, you're guessing that it, you're going to be able to pick it up. You're yeah. guessing that you're just going to not fall through the ground randomly. These are essentially what he's saying is that you can't know anything because if you if you don't have whatever his idea of perfect knowledge is, then everything you do everywhere is a guess. Right, and, and he's, no, he's just denying that knowledge exists at that point. Exactly. I, I think I think we highlighted it multiple times. Like knowledge is typically uh, understood as justified true belief. There might be some uh, exceptions or disclaimers on that normal definition, but a justified true belief. And if it's knowledge about the future, it's a justified or or a confirmed ex post facto. That's how knowledge works, and that's what we consider knowledge. And so it's word games. It's hijacking language. And, of course, they don't operate like this in the real world. They don't use this language consistently in their day-to-day -day life. ...comes to the character of God. One truth about him becomes biblically distorted or imbalanced. It's not surprising then to see that other areas begin to crumble or fall as well. And I have seen in my studies and in talking with open <laughs> theists as well, that even though they shift talking with open theists, that, that'd be that'd be me. <laughs> that'd be you. Uh, okay, so Just you. <laughs> let, let's let let's see the things that he's seen reading open theists and talking to me. Okay. In this area of omniscience, it hardly ever stops there. They shift in the area of immutability, and even God's Ooh. omnipresence that He's not necessarily Ooh. everywhere. Present oh, oh no! In spirit. See that? See See that's me. That's me. Or that he's not oh, okay, so here, here's the funny story. So I was going to this church like seven years ago or whatever, and uh, there was some some sort of dispensational talk I had with them. And so from that, they figured out that I had a blog, and they started following my blog for a while. And I had a post about omniscience or omnipresence, how omnipresence isn't really defined very well in the Bible. There's not very good evidence that God is physically in every place. And so I'm sitting in their sermon uh, one one day and it was they're going over like the book of Luke. And all of a sudden in the middle of some sort of passage about Jesus doing stuff, there's this random slide in there on God's uh, omnipresence. And just randomly for no, no apparent reason. <laughs> It's like you guys are so transparent. That, that has nothing to do with anything. That, that's 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 not in. That's not in Luke. That's not there. 
so that that's that's the mentality that we're dealing with here so uh if you don't believe in omnipresence oh you're so terrible but the funny thing is most people don't understand what classical omnipresence is for god in aquinas and elsewhere god can't be related to the material he has to be outside all conception of space time his omnipresence means he's outside of these distinctions of he's nowhere with, yeah he's he's nowhere he, he's not normal people when they think about god being omnipresent they think he's in every square inch of every place always not the classical definition and so both those definitions god being in every square inch everywhere god's in our toilet uh, he's he's in 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 our fecal matter in the toilet in the water um that's not in the bible and also god being outside of space and time and having no relation to the world that also is not a biblical concept genesis starts with the spirit of god hovering over the face of the water the wind of god is moving and so throughout the bible you see a lot of relationship with space and time and nothing that he transcends it and so so that's funny let's let's see what else he says here not truly all powerful or that his prophecies have sometimes failed in the bible <laughs> Uh, his, his prophecies have sometimes failed in the Bible. I think there's quite a few failed prophecies. The, the prophecy of Tyre is one that uh, uh, competent atheists have pointed out. And I, I, I was able to capture one article by one atheist that went missing from the internet. I was able to uh, copy and paste it in full talking about the problems between the book of Ezekiel and the historical account. One such problem is uh, the Tyre was supposed to never be rebuilt. You could Google it today. You could see a map of Tyre. It's a modern city. People are living there. Uh, it just didn't. It didn't occur. Uh, it was not wiped out forever. Even if it was hyperbolic, a lot of the other details did not occur, like uh, Nebuchadnezzar looting it, sacking it, running his uh, horses through the streets. They walled off themselves in this island. Uh, Tyre was an island at the time. It wasn't until Alexander the Great came and built a literal ramp through the water. Uh, they, they piled stuff up there in order to make a land bridge over to the island to sack it. It wasn't until that happened that it was, in fact, sacked. And the prophecy is not describing events that are happening 250 years later. So sometimes prophecies in the Bible don't come true and the bible records that they don't come true king uh -oh. nebuchadnezzar was given <laughs> egypt as a consolation prize also never happened he went to egypt and uh was repelled or turned back he tried to invade egypt i think multiple times uh, he, he never conquered egypt they they're not speaking his language today that the language of the egyptians still continues against the prophecies against egypt so sometimes Sometimes in the Bible, these prophecies do not come true. All right, so that's just one to pick. Oh, there's other ones that we, we talked about. There's the ones with, uh, uh, not not the Amalekites, but uh, when, the, when the king sacrificed his son against the wall and, and turned back Israel, even though they were supposed to take, take all the land. But, all right, Believe we'll hit not. play. And so it questions his veracity, and of course it questions his sovereignty as well as what open theism ultimately does is it sets up man it brings man up and it brings god down 
It fashions a God in the image of man rather than following the biblical truth. <laughs> how does it bring how does it bring man up? Uh, so in what way? Yeah, this is the the fake piousness that you see in a lot of Christians. Uh, oh, woe is me. All men are just worms and we're just the lowliest creatures. And anytime we try to compare ourselves at all to God, oh, that's such a tra travesty. God's so above us and we're so small. It's this fake piety and uh, you see it uh, in their theology and they think that any any talk about Man, perhaps being, I don't know, made in the image of God, that's so terrible. So he do, he reverses the phrase. He says, open theists make God in the image of man. W totally, totally uh, not understanding his hypocrisy and the absurdity of it. If God were, were, were to have made man in his image in Genesis, then man is in the image of God. And he wants he wants to separate man from God. The Bible wants to unite. The Bible talks very often about man being God's image. That we have been created in the image of Almighty God to honor and glorify Him. And there's none like Him. We are distinct from Him. So this is the teaching of open theism, especially in the area of omniscience. But this view also has a certain motive behind it. You know, whenever you come across something that's um, a teaching like this, one of the first questions you always ask is, why? Why would anybody come up with something like this? How could this be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's like, how, why, how can anyone do this? How can... How can Scandalous. <laughs> if, if you read the Bible and you believe the Bible, straight to hell. Uh, you, you say you, you see it say that God repents of something God did, and you believe it, and straight to hell with you. Uh, how can you believe such such heresy? <laughs> in some cases, I think they have a good motive. In other cases, I don't necessarily think they do. But this view does seek to protect the free will of man while also claiming to view God as more relational and sympathetic with mankind. Uh, a God who is not immutable, yes, is more relational and sympathetic. I, I would say a God that is not immutable is more relational. By definition, if you're yeah. immutable, you, you, you really can't have a relationship with something that's immutable. I mean, maybe, maybe you have, like, uh, I don't know, like uh, a fake girlfriend or something, or, something. or I don't know. And you, like a toy or, or something like that, where it's all one-sided. Yeah, all one-sided. Even a toy is mutable in some sense. You could carry it around with you and be like, hey, I got this toy. Uh, but something that's truly immutable now you've lost all relationship with that I thing. Mean, wasn't Calvin trying to say that the way man relates to God is that God has this sort of like, uh, let's say it's like a like a faucet or something that you can be within, you can you can walk under the shower of God's grace or you can be outside of it, but God doesn't change. And therefore, it's really, you're just changing in relationship to God. Yeah, like a typical, 
Calvin- relational means. Yeah, typical Calvinists will say like God is a, a lamppost or something like that. And the more we sin, the farther we move away from the lamppost. So it's really us changing and not God. And that's and that's their typical definition, which is really funny because in the Bible, sometimes God repents for his own sake. God says, I'm sick and tired of dealing with this. Uh, I'm just going to, I was going to destroy you. I'm repenting for my own sake. And so sometimes God's changes are based uh, entirely on internal internal reasons and not based on, on outside reasons. So it's, it's not a positional change. I'm going to go ahead and hit play. See, by bringing God down to our level and having a God who's more... This is their, their language. I, I, their audience appears to eat it all up. Oh, yeah, Open Theus brings God down to our level. But here's the funny thing about Christianity. Christianity is uh, premised on the idea of God becoming man. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're aware of this fact. I'm not, I'm not sure if they understand that this is uh, pretty much the primary doctrine of Christianity that someone might need to tell them. Or like us, that makes some people feel a lot more comfortable with their concept of God. <laughs> Chummy, perhaps? <clears throat> Whatever the case may be. But this is a God who's more like me, who, who relates to me, who doesn't know the future like, like I don't know it. And so we go through <laughs> life in the future together. <laughs> and God learns things and we I'm learning all things. together. Isn't that nice? That's kind of the mentality behind it. And really what this view is, is a reaction to Calvinism's imbalanced, fatalistic view of God. So do you, do you ever remember that book, uh, Wild at Heart? There, there, oh. There's a very famous book that went around uh, during my time in college where how to be a man and uh it basically used god as an example of someone who's manly and and likes to take risks god was a risk taker and then he has this whole paragraph um i'm not an open theist don't don't take anything i'm saying as me being an open theist that's pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's what this kind of reminds me of a little bit here that says that God has this wall-to-wall decree before eternity or, or earth history began where God decided exactly what was going to happen. So one thing I think uh, I think we both notice throughout this, what his talk so far, is he, it's a lot of substantive-less substantive claims. He's not talking about the Bible and biblical evidence. He's instead being insulting He's using loaded language. It's this is not really a refutation of open theism as much as it is an emotional emotional outpouring. He's just letting us know about his emotions, how he feels about open theism. Yeah, he's this is this is a terrible example of poisoning the well, uh, and he spent eleven minutes so far poisoning the well without giving us anything of substantive value. Yeah, in principle, he's just in principle. What he's trying to do is tell you what open theism is, right? So you would describe the doctrines and what they think, but instead, he's basically like he can't resist saying how much he hates it with every single breath he has. (laughs) So he can't even inform you of things without just gagging. It's like watching one of the Trump moderators. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. And he decreed it to be so, and foreordained even the free will choices of his creatures, supposedly free. So there's nothing that's really truly free in terms of choice. And even your salvation was based on God's unconditional election of you, not that you chose God, but he chose you and put the faith in you to believe, and thus you find yourself believing. Yeah, he, do, he does a lot of mind reading as well. Like, uh, for these reasons, this is why open theists believe what they believe. And it's like, well, uh, you're, you're mind reading? You're just, you're just going to tell us these motivations? What, what's your evidence, you know? And maybe, maybe that should come after anything of substance. It's all God's choice, they say. Man has no choice in it whatsoever. And so as a reaction to that fatalistic, Calvinistic view, you've got people who've come up with this radical, imbalanced Arminian view. It's an extreme wing of the Arminian movement who embrace now open theism. And I've read testimonies of people online. And there's blog sites all over with teaching this view of open theism. <laughs> all over. <laughs> oh, these terrible, <laughs> these say, blog well, sites. I once held to a very fatalistic view of God, but boy, now that I've embraced open theism, I can't tell you how it's revived my Christianity. That God is now more like me. <laughs> That's He's what they say. my level. He's more... Uh, okay, show, uh, uh, hey, Tom, show me, show me someone saying that with, in those quote marks. I don't think it exists. I think he, he's he's doing his little mind reading again. So a lot of people will say that open theism has brought them to a place of love. They could relate to God a lot more now. They they could uh, uh, discard the, these terrible images of God that they once held. These things like that. But they don't say, now God is on my level. They, I, I don't hear anything like that. So that's his interjection into these these uh, quote-unquote blog posts that he read somewhere that it totally totally do exist somewhere more like me than i ever imagined this has been so enlightening to embrace this view now i feel like my prayers really count because i can change the future with god and because god is dependent upon me now in some measure so that makes me feel more engaged than i ever was before <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see that blog post. I'd like, I'd like to see that blog post. Where did you read that? Where did you read that? Uh, like I control God. I control God. Like no, nobody, nobody's ever written that. Like open theist. That's zero people. Zero people have ever written that. Okay, so oh, Tom, show me this blog post you read. Before, before under Calvinism, I was like a spectator sitting passively on the sidelines. Now I'm out there on the field playing both offense and defense. You can understand how some people have felt. With Calvinism, it's a cold, unfeeling, mechanistic type of God, they say. And with open theism, they have a God who's more empathetic, cooperative, and even more open-minded but that is a problem, as we're going to see. <laughs> now, where does this doctrine come from? The ominous, that's a what problem. What are its roots? Who uh -oh. has taught it historically? I can't wait. Okay, oh, okay. It's okay. Oh, it's, 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 it's roots. a history lesson? Uh, <laughs> yes, so I would like to see the history of who taught it and who they passed it on to. Because with Calvinism and with these uh, Platonistic attributes, we could literally see in church history 
yeah. this escalation. We could see Augustine write in his confessions, I could, I could not believe the Bible until I read it in light of Platonism. That, literally, he writes it in, in unironically, his confessions is where he writes this, that the Bible was absurd until he read it in light of Platonism. You, you see similar themes throughout. You see that in Clement of Alexandria, a lot of Platonizing going on uh it very explicitly calling on the name of plato uh, augustine calling on the name of plotinus these things are historical we we know the roots uh biblical scholarship knows these roots biblical scholarship is probably not not going to understand the roots of open theism as he's going to describe so but let's let's listen let's let's see who he's got for us well actually a form of this doctrine has been around for a very long time yeah, by the way, there's there's a quote from Calvin where Calvin complains about all these dang open theists running around. He's like, these people don't believe God knows the future. These are terrible people. And so they, they've been present everywhere and always. They just haven't had major voices. It, is, it has been taught in pagan philosophies in the past. <laughs> the Socinians around the time of the little after the Reformation who denied the Trinity and other doctrines. They... Oh, so terrible. Guilt by association. These people who we don't like also taught the things that open theists don't like. Well, well, these this group that you hate also believed in God. And so should you be ashamed of believing in God if it's guilt by association? The Nazis don't, you know, they built highways. So the United States should not build highways. Guilt by association. Held this view as well. Certain cults have held this view, though it has been a lesser-known view. But really, this view owes its origin in terms of becoming popular to process philosophy as taught by Alfred Whitehead in the last couple hundred years. He was an American philosopher who taught in certain universities here. Right, so what, what is going to be his evidence for this? Um... I don't think he's going to actually give any evidence. He's just going to make claims. As I've already stated, Calvin was complaining about those all those darn open theists running around. And uh, people in the tradition of McCabe, definitely not influenced. I think McCabe was before Whitehead. And there, there's plenty of open theists before then. So he's he's using some weasel words. Um, the, the popularity of open theists came through Whitehead. Uh, er, I... I Maybe some open theists, in some respect, were influenced by Whitehead, but most open well, theists don't know who he is. Yeah, the point of doing this sort of thing is you can, if you point out a source like this, you can somehow marginalize and isolate a whole idea. So Whitehead did this, and then we'll see, but he's probably going to complain that Whitehead had all these other problems, right? And well, therefore, because Whitehead is is of is completely de defunct in some way all of open theism is too yeah exactly um and so i i find very much problem with him saying that this is the origin of open theist beliefs especially uh the historical line flowing from mccabe and others and he taught that basically life and reality is this unfolding process and nothing is is fixed per se yeah, I've I've tried actually reading this book before, and uh, it's if 
it feels it feels like there's a lot of nonsense in this book and Wait, so is he just saying like he, he's just desperately looking for a philosopher who says that the future is is not fixed like there are plenty of philosophers out there who no, are what, determinist. What he's going to do is he's going to link this to Boyd because Boyd's seminary paper w- was a criticism of Whitehead or something like that. It was a criticism. It was like a criticism or critique. It wasn't like affirming process, but since the link is there, he's going to claim it's contaminated <laughs> all of open theism is what's going to happen. <laughs> Because oh, Boyd is all of open <laughs> Well, Boyd is a major figure, but he's going to use it as the the inroad to condemn all of all of Christianity because mm-hmm. someone dared to write a thesis on Whitehead. Oh man, so terrible! Boyd should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> Developed process theology. Charles Hartshorn taught this view. In fact, it's very interesting to see lived a long the title time. Of one of his books here that really says it all. Omnipotence and other theology. Maybe there's something to this process theology. <laughs> he figured out his future. <laughs> <laughs> he figured out what he's doing. This other guy's like 90, Al- Alfred Whitehead. So Logical Mistakes was one of his books. And Charles Hartshorn basically had this very um, unorthodox view of God, not merely in the area of Um, omnipotence and omniscience but in several different areas and Charles Hartshorn's view was embraced in part by a contemporary so-called okay so Boyd's thesis was on Hartshorn and Hartshorn was influenced by Whitehead I kind of got that mixed up (laughs) but still the same concepts of play even more of a weird rabbit trail yeah oh man if you're critiquing a theology or a view of people, do you cover like a, their wide history before you start talking about their actual beliefs? I don't know of a good reason to do this unless you're trying to just poison the well. So if I was going to give a talk on Calvinism, would I start with, oh, Calvinism, look at all its history of being influenced directly from Plato and Plotinus? Um, you'd, you'd only do that if you're trying to poison the well to your audience. A better place for that would be uh, probably after a critique of its actual views, like as a, an appendice or a side note. You, the views are wrong because of these reasons. Also, these reasons exist for these other reasons as, as an end note rather than your starting point. Yeah, oh, it's a fallacy called right, the Genesis um, fallacy, right? Right, but it works very well in people's minds. If you yeah. uh, associate bad things together, then they say, oh, that thing's bad. I don't like it. And it's associated with this other thing. Oh, I don't like it. And so it's very manipulative mentally. The Twin Cities named Gregory Boyd, who wrote his PhD dissertation at Princeton University on Charles Hartshorn's philosophy or theology, And he thought he could weed out the parts that didn't seem biblical, but the problem is he swallowed a whole lot of seeds along the way too. I wouldn't say he ingested the whole watermelon. He spit out a few seeds, but he allowed some of this humanistic philosophy, unbiblical thinking to to creep into his own theology. So this whole premise here, literally, that if, if someone is a philosopher, then they're not being biblical. Like, the very notion that that's, it was developed 
via philosophy means that it's not biblical to this guy, right? Which, I mean, you might want to look and see how many philosophers are determinists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it his, uh, He's claiming that Greg Boyd swallowed process theism in parts, and no, so that's but bad. His, but his, his only claim that it's non-biblical is that it was formulated outside of the Bible, right? Right. But he's, he's not giving us any examples of what the heck he's talking about. He's yeah, not because he's not trying to. He's yeah, he, trying he, to he just imply there are these philosophers out there, and then someone decided to turn that philosophy into a theology. That's all he's saying. Mm-hmm. Which is like, uh, <laughs> look at the mirror guy. <laughs> it, it it is it is an exercise in hypocrisy. I will say that. And the, and the fact that he doesn't give examples of these things that he's claiming means they don't exist. He can't mm -hmm. point to us exactly what he's talking about. The mm -hmm. primary teachers of this view, as I said, he's from the Twin Cities. He's a senior pastor of uh, a church in northern St. Paul, a mega church in the Twin Cities. He taught at um, Bethel University for a while as a full-time teacher. He quit that, uh, now as an adjunct teacher, still with Bethel. And by the way, Bethel has come out with a policy stating that we believe his views are within the acceptable range of views held here at Bethel College. Shame on you, Bethel. <laughs> but he's an adjunct teacher there now, no longer full-time because he is devoting most of his time to being a senior pastor of this church. He also happens to embrace the teaching of annihilationism, that if the unsaved die, they do not spend a conscious eternal eternity being tormented in the lake of fire. Here's a guy that we don't like, and here's a list of things that he believes that we don't like. Open theism is false. <laughs> open theism is in the list. So there's a guy who believes not only in open theism, but also annihilationism isn't open theism terrible what's <laughs> <laughs> to open that door oh. fire or hell he believes that they will be annihilated um after so is there more annihilationists who are open theist or aren't i would say there's more that aren't so if there's a guilt by association it's probably his own views are the guilt by association. That's the funny thing that, and all these things that he's criticizing, he doesn't ever do any self-reflection to see if the same criticisms apply to his own views or beliefs. I think we've we've shown the hypocrisy. Uh, it, it especially, it was real funny in his definition of omnipotence. How a couple sentences later he said, "Oh." Open theists try to limit omniscience, where he had just did that with omnipotence. He, there's no self-reflection in his own views. After death, immediately after death, and in fact, he, which I find very amazing, because he supposedly wants to uphold the free will of man, but when you think about it, annihilationism being put out of existence for eternity is the ultimate suppression of man's free will. <laughs> but he believes in this, and that's why he endorsed a couple of years ago. Uh, and Is this supposed to be some contradiction that he discovered? 
Uh, yeah, so... When... This is mind reading, and then complaining that the mind reading is nonsense. <laughs> That's what he's yeah. doing. Uh, there's a... Whenever you're talking to someone about free will, they start to become really ridiculous. Like, if God were ever to punish someone for doing something wrong, that's a violation of man's free will. Like, like if cops arrest a criminal and throw him in jail, that's a violation of the criminal's sure. free will. Like, like yeah. that's, that's not what free will is. It doesn't mean that you have zero physical, mental, and social constraints to your actions. There, there are such... My will to fly does not just enable me to fly. My free will is not being violated by gravity. That's not what free, free will, will is. Omnipotence, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, so he just said that if you think about it, if God would annihilate souls, that's the ultimate violation of free will. So they 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 propped up this unrealistic uh, standard that they attribute to the people they criticize, uh, standards that those people do them themselves don't yeah. affirm don't believe and are flatly yeah. ridiculous and insane and then they attack those it's it's really really bad straw manning it's not even it, well, I, I don't yeah, understand the basis because because his mind reading is that oh gregory boyd is only doing this because he wants to glorify free will but he also believes in god utterly annihilating free will see see see, see? <laughs> but yeah, that's like this isn't the re he's he's assuming that this is the whole reason gregory boyd's an open theist that it's not based off of what he's read in the bible that it's not like, like it, he thinks there's just some like hidden drive to have ultimate free will all the time yeah, it's it's a weird mindset. I I think we're we're seeing the effects of uh, cult inbreeding in this church, where these these people they they don't actually interact with people who don't hold their views. This church, they told me that they don't debate. They 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 don't engage in debates with people whose views they don't share. They they really insulate themselves from opposing views. And so anything that this guy's getting, he's grabbing <laughs> off of like blog sites and. And then he tells us what his blog sites he read with ridiculous quotes that guaranteed are in zero blog posts ever made. It's this this weird weird bubble that they have they've put themselves in. Go Rob Bell's book that came out that was very popular. Love wins. Maybe you've heard of that. Isn't Rob Bell a Calvinist? Was a very popular form of denying the biblical truth about hell and taught annihilationism. I don't think Rob Bell's an open by, theist. By the way, let me back up. Gregory Boyd has written a book. He's written several books on this, but one is called The God of the Possible, and it's subtitled, Does God Ever Change His Mind? And the answer to that is, in his estimation, yes, he definitely does. Now, doesn't that sound very inviting and engaging? The God of the Possible? Are you a possibility thinker? Or is your mind closed? Isn't it funny how false doctrine always has these very attractive titles? progressive dispensationalism. It's not the <laughs> crossless gospel, it's the promise of life. <laughs> isn't it funny that people who are advocating something say advocate for it <laughs> rather than this? Like, what is he? he uh, can he conceive that other minds exist? <laughs> I don't think so. And, and you notice, again, the hypocrisy, how they're couching their own terms yeah, favorable yeah. to themselves uh, with uh, using the non-central fallacy as we pointed out there there's no self-awareness 
age. What person over 10 years old does not understand that people speak positively about the things they like? Yeah. <laughs> it's like they they don't they don't phrase it in terms that'll make people be like, what the heck? They're, they're not trying to scare people with what they're advocating. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like an open theist would be like, uh, this Tom guy, he doesn't tell us, he doesn't title his, what he tells us about God as, God can't stop a rape that he knows will happen. He, he God doesn't title, God of the unable to stop a future rape. Yeah. He, why, why doesn't he, why doesn't he frame his belief in, in those terms? Why, why doesn't he do it? <laughs> Others who teach this view are John Sanders, who oh, used to teach at Oak Hills Bible College in Bemidji and was an adjunct teacher at Bemidji State University. He's moved on, but he's also written a book called The God Who Risks. Don't you want to go through life with a God who's a risk taker, not a boring God? Well, that sounds very interesting and inviting, doesn't it? He also happens to hold to a view called inclusivism. He has written a book called, What About Those Who've Never Heard, Heard the Gospel Message? And he believes that if people have not heard the, ex the gospel message and have had the explicit truth of the, the message of the gospel, and they never hear about it, if they follow to the best of their abilities, you know, their conscience and creation, that they can still be saved. So they're, they're talking to their congregation, and their congregation is of this very bubble mindset and so a lot of their criticisms although they sound ludicrous to us like oh isn't this terrible john sanders believes that someone in africa if they follow god to the best of their heart even though they never hear about jesus that that person will be saved he says isn't that a terrible belief oh open theism is so false because our church has this very very weird very idiosyncratic view about what happens to people who never hear the gospel. And since we think this is a terrible belief, this, uh, this other belief that they put it out on the internet and stuff like that. So he's, he's speaking to his audience. If, if his, if his line of reasoning doesn't make sense, just understand he's not talking to normal, rational human beings. He's not t talking to normal functioning human beings who actually not even normal Christians. He's talking to a very select audience so things that are couched in terms that are unoffensive to normal christians are very offensive to his audience that's the inclusivist view so he holds to that then there's clark pinnock i won't give you a whole list of names but here are three primary ones clark pinnock is a a teacher of this view i believe he may be dead now but uh so we're we're, we're 19 minutes in pretty much 19 minutes in and he hasn't actually talked about open theist proof text and how open theists deal with the Bible. He's, he's just giving us throwing out a bunch of names, things that are Wikipedia level information. There's a lot of poisoning the well involved. It's look at these figures who, who we don't like, and they've did other things that we didn't like. Not very much substance so far in this whole discussion. He wasted a whole like, five minutes on some sort of numbers illusion. It's it's a lot of time wasting, not very much substance. That's, that's what I'm noticing here. Is that your impressions? Church? <laughs> I, I can't imagine that this is 
This is some aberration to his normal preaching style. Probably not. Probably not. Well, uh, we'll we'll go a little bit longer. We've been recording for maybe an hour or so. Maybe we'll go to the 20-minute mark and have to cut off for the night because it is getting long. And there's very little substance to deal with. He has written several books up until recently. Uh, One of his books was called The Most Moved Mover, A Theology of God's Openness. And, of course, this is a spoof upon the idea that you know, God was the initial uncaused cause. It's a spoof. Cause of all creation. You know, one of the arguments for God as creator is that everything in this universe is a reaction to a prior action. Well, what got the ball rolling? There has. <laughs> okay, so uh, a lot of times they affirm explicitly uh, Platonistic beliefs and Ar- Aristotelian beliefs. I think Aristotle was the first to make the unmoved mover argument and right now he's he himself is making this greek philosophical argument and i think later in this sermon he makes the platonistic argument that whatever changes can only change for the worse or the better but if god is the most perfect being he can't change for the better therefore any changes for the worse which comes directly from the republic directly from plato so anytime they talk about philosophy that's direct origin the direct origin of these ideas the origination is in greek philosophy and we see it handed down uh, throughout history various people claiming plato as unapologetically in in the first three centuries at least in christianity christians unapologetically cited plato as their source for various beliefs they considered him a true philosopher and uh uh, pr- practically, if if he if he could have been a Christian, he would have been a Christian. Is their ideas, and so it wasn't this big cover up that you're going to see in modern Christianity, where oh no, of course the the church didn't care for Plato and Platonism, and and of course the church uh, developed independently of them, and it's not reliant on these people. But the early church made no excuses; they were unapologetic. That's because Plato was in fashion that he was vogue and to cite plato and to be on the side of plotinus and the neoplatonists was to be the popular philosophers of that day and so yeah yeah a a modern equivalent of that is like everyone trying to quote carl sagan and say oh carl sagan helped me understand Or, or you'd find whatever um famous scientist stephen hawking's stephen hawking you know th- that's that's exactly what they would be doing, right? They, yeah. they want to find the person, people who are highly legitimized in the society they live in, and then they want to relate that to the their religious doctrine. That's exactly what was happening then. It's just that science wasn't the the great uh, the great um, what would you call it the the priestly religion of the age? It was Platonism. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh... <laughs> Uh, it's so it's so funny. Like people are like, "Oh, Einstein, uh, he was a theist," or "No, Einstein was an atheist." And there's going to be debates o- online between uh, theists and atheists about what what did Einstein? Because Einstein is seen as this intellectual giant. Uh, uh, yep. Atheists will be like, "Well, he's yep. more of a deist," and or he didn't believe in the Christian concept of God, so you really can't claim him. And the Christians are like, "But he was a deist," and and fighting back and forth. But the Platonists. 
Uh, the early Christians really wholeheartedly adopted Platonist concepts, terms, terminology, value sets, uh, value sets that are not found in the Bible. God being the unmoved mover. God being unable to change because change equals degradation. The physical being the enemy of the spiritual. The physical being decay and the spiritual being good. Uh, the non-material being more, more of good more good than the physical. The physical was evil, the physical was decay, the physical was change, and the spiritual was more towards perfection. These levels of hypostasis, these different levels of reality where the physical is the lowest and then there's a spiritual on top of that and the ultimate reality is God, this hierarchy of levels, those are Platonistic value sets that just are just do not appear in the Bible. Paul Paul writes, he says, I knew a guy, whether in body or spirit, he went to heaven. I don't know which one because Paul wasn't a Platonist. He didn't believe that in these inseparable levels of reality where the spiritual and the physical cannot interact and overlap like in the Bible. In the Bible, there's holy dirt. There's a holy mountain. There, there's things yep. that are spiritual that are physical. There, there's significant overlap. The Semitic mindset didn't allow for this separation of body and spirit that uh, we we so often imagine oh we're all going to die and then we're going to ascend to a the physical ghost world where we play harps something like that that wasn't that wasn't in their vocabulary it wasn't in their idea set had to have been an unmoved mover at the very beginning and so he comes along and writes a book and says you know what yeah the bible's a big book i don't see anything in there about an unmoved mover and the fact that you know in, in the Bodies of God, uh, Benjamin Summer points out that an argument from silence in a book as big as the Bible is actually a good argument. If the, if the Bible doesn't say something, just the, 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 the scope of the Bible is so large that if the Bible doesn't say something, that isn't a good argument that the Bible doesn't believe that thing. God's not the unmoved mover. He's moving a whole lot. In fact, he's moved by others. You can move God too. In fact, he's the most moved mover in the universe. Wow. Talk about a radical change in the way we think. But Clark Pinnock is, and John Saunders, Gregory Boyd, they're all accepted as evangelical teachers. Now, there's some who are not evangelicals that are holding this open theism view. But this view has become mainstream now within evangelicalism. Granted, Reformed Calvinistic evangelicals do not accept this as evangelical, but in the broader evangelical community, this is accepted. That's why John Sanders and Clark Pinnock are still part, or were part of, until he passed away, I believe, uh, the Evangelical Theological Society. In 2004, Norman Geisler brought up to the whole Evangelical Theological Society that these men were holding things inconsistent with the doctrinal position of that organization. This is so did did you ever hear Greg Boyd's story on on this this whole incident getting kicked out of the Evangelical Theological the Society? No. And so Bruce Ware tried to kick open theists out. Uh, he tried to reform their doctrinal statement to say that people couldn't be an open theist and be part of the Evangelical uh, Society. And uh, he he targeted it was Sanders, John Sanders and Greg Boyd. But it turns out Greg Boyd had just forgotten to renew his membership. So he's trying to kick out someone who wasn't even a member. <laughs> and so 
I had Greg Boyd on my podcast and he's like, Greg Boyd's like, yeah, it just probably came in the mail and I forgot to send a check in or something. I wasn't even a member and he's trying to kick me out. So it was funny that, uh, that that's, that's what hey, Bruce Ware, he resigned in protest Bruce Ware because, because open theists were not kicked out of the evangelical theological society. When, when all is said and done, they made some sort of small doctrinal change about infallibility. Uh, Ware's argument basically was open theists can't be uh, evangelicals because they don't hold to the infallibility of the Bible because they don't read it like we do. But And all his criticisms also, also uh, could be applied to standard to Arminians. No, it's not, not well, even... Go, no, so so the argument, if I I actually think I remember this, the argument was that because God can error, the Bible itself could be full of errors, and therefore you don't believe the Bible is infallible, right? That, that the, might have been counter, one of the arguments. Yeah. The counter argument, you could you could easily just go turn around the other way and say, well, based on Calvinism, it's very clear that God lies all the times because these prophecies never came through. He said that it would happen and it didn't. So therefore, God lies all the time, and therefore, not the only that, full of lies. but in Calvinism, God originates all lies. Every <laughs> lie that's ever been told throughout history is of God's origin to some secretive purpose. And so, it could be matter of fact that the whole Bible is just filled with all sorts of lies to to achieve God's greatest glory. And any verse that you find in the Bible that says God doesn't lie could, in fact, be a lie. To God's greatest, there's no way to tell. There is literally no way to tell between what's a lie and not not a lie in in a system in which God predetermined all lies to His greatest glory. That's that's the thing about Calvinism. It's it's not practical. It doesn't give you assurance of your salvation. It doesn't give you assurances for the future because you could be that person who was predestined to fall away, uh, to to at the last moment uh, re renounce God, and there's nothing you could do about it. it. It doesn't give you any practical information of how to live and how to think, or it shouldn't give you any comfort. There, There's just nothing about it that should do that. And so that's that's the funny thing with all these people. And I, I consider this Tom guy preaching. He's, he's, he's basically a quasi-Calvinist uh, talking about God's immutability and uh, all these other attributes that he's throwing out there. God can't change. Oh, God can't change. That's 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 interesting. But anyways, we, we've gone long enough. We've got about 20 minutes on his his reel and about over an hour on our recording here. So we're going to have to cut it off for the night. But we might have to pick this up again. Maybe maybe he'll talk about something of substantive value at a future time. But not tonight. Um, what? Any closing thoughts about this? Any closing impressions? I, I, I yeah, understand. This one. You, you've never seen this before, and so this is all new to you. So one thing that becomes very clear is that his mentality about um, who God is and his, his his just general theology is fundamentally unfalsifiable. That, that's a standard that people use when they're talking about scientific theories. You want you want something to be falsifiable because if something magically answers everything at all times in all ways, then then uh, it doesn't tell you anything. Like you said, it has no practical value. It, it it would it would never lead you to one conclusion or the other because literally it, it answer it it becomes 
anything could happen in any way, in any shape, in any form, and it would still, and you could still claim this thing. So, so it has no value. So that is exactly what what's going on here. If you want to have self awareness, if you're going to develop a th- your theology, you need to ask yourself a very serious question of what what my what conditions would prove me wrong in this idea. And so I've I've asked a lot of Calvinists uh, throughout the years, what would the Bible have to say to make you believe God repents? And pretty much the standard answer is, there's nothing the Bible could say to make me believe that. And uh, a Calvinist, on the other hand, asked me, it was Chris State, he said, what would the Bible have to say to make you believe that God had uh, this exhaustive knowledge of the future? And I said, I, I pulled up a bunch of quotes by early church fathers who definitely believed it. I said, well, if it said something like this or said something like this, and look at Clement of Alexandria, what he says here, that would make me believe it. And these early Gnostics, I pulled out quotes of theirs too. It could say <laughs> these things. If it said any of these things, that that would that would be good evidence that that writer believed that God had exhaustive knowledge of the future. And so open theism is falsifiable. It should be falsifiable. Any of our beliefs should be falsifiable. Um, cultist beliefs tend to not be. If you're in a cult, nothing that anyone says or does can convince you not to be part of that cult. And that's that's what we're we're seeing a little bit here. Alrighty. Well, I guess uh, we'll cut off there unless you got any other closing thoughts. I don't know if I cut you off early there. Uh, I think we're good. On your thoughts, but uh, any, any questions or comments, throw that down below. Also, if you want to, please go upvote the video that this church is trying to downvote. Uh, Christopher Fisher gets kicked out of Duluth Bible Church. Give that one an upvote so we can fight against their them trying to strip the internet of this, this gem. This gem of our recording. All right. Thank you for listening.